Okay, I'm curious, how many of you have told at least one person good morning as you walked in here? <laughs> My current count is three. I've got Tracy beat by one so far, so we've got another service to go, and we're just curious. I'm, I'm, I'm wondering, will I say good morning after it gets dark here in just a little bit? You know, habits die hard, right? Well, Merry Christmas. So honored that we get to be here with you all uh, this year, and, and uh, man, this has been kind of a fun year for us. It's a, a year of new for us. Having moved here this past summer and, and joining you all here at Crossroads has been uh, just something totally new for us, and, and as, as we've settled into our house the last few months, we've started working on new traditions. In fact, uh, our, our oldest daughter asked us a while back, what are our Christmas traditions? And I thought, well... The last few years, it's been getting on an airplane at 6 o'clock in the morning and flying to Oklahoma. That's been our Christmas tradition on Christmas morning. But uh, being able to be here and be close to family and, and get set up in a new home and a new school and a new church and all of this, we've worked on new traditions. And it makes me wonder, what are your Christmas traditions? What kind of traditions do you all have that you hold on to this time of the year or Christmas Eve and Christmas Day? I know for me, I, I grew up in a small town, and growing up in a small town, my whole family is from this small town, uh, it really made it where holiday travel wasn't a thing for us. Uh, in fact, my, one of my sets of grandparents lived about 10 blocks away from the house I grew up in, and the other one lived about five minutes away in the next town over where my wife is from, and it just kind of made me wonder about that song that you used to sing, Over the River and Through the Woods to Grandma's House We Go. That didn't apply for us. It was drive past Walmart in the cemetery and the putt-putt course to Mimi's house we go. That was Christmas Eve for us. And that's where we'd go on Christmas Eve. We'd go to my Mimi and Papa's house. That's my dad's folks. And uh, we'd, we'd go there. And actually, if, if this were, you know, 20, 30 years ago, uh, here in a couple hours, we'd be getting ready to head over there. And we'd do our typical Christmas Eve thing, maybe order a few pizzas, or uh, sometimes we'd splurge and do a taco bar, you know, because nothing screams Christmas like a taco bar, or enchiladas, and we'd do those, and we'd, we'd start the greatest Christmas tradition of all, the 24 hours of a Christmas story on TBS, we'd start watching that, and we'd open presents, and we'd fight over the perfect spot in front of their fireplace that usually my dad or my Uncle Rusty would eventually win, and, and we'd do that throughout the evening. And then we'd go home and I'd go to bed, and the next morning, my brother and I would wake up to see what Santa had left us under the Christmas tree and in our stockings, and we'd do that, and then have to go put on our actual clothes and brush our hair and go to my grandma's, which was my, my mom's folks, my grandma and grandpa Martin that lived, again, just about 10 blocks away. So it's, you know, drive around the corner and past the park, and you don't even get to finish the song before you're at grandma's house, but we'd go there for Christmas breakfast. That was always one of my favorite traditions, this Christmas breakfast. We'd go all out. My grandpa, this was his thing, bacon, eggs, the good sausage patties, not just the ones from Aldi's. He'd get the good ones on this particular Sunday. All the, the, the biscuits and gravy and uh, my grandma's homemade preserves and uh, all the different kinds of juice. It was kind of funny because Christmas morning we had grape juice. And I don't know why we could buy it any time, but that was the day we had grape juice was on Christmas morning. And We'd exchange presents and then maybe go back to Mimi and Papa's for Christmas lunch and back to my grandma and grandpa's for Christmas evening. And, and then we'd spend the rest of Christmas break breaking in those new presents. 
It's kind of like it is right here today where it's 65 degrees outside. It was usually pretty nice for us in Oklahoma on Christmas and, and those few days after Christmas. And we get to go play with all of our cool stuff. Christmas for us was so fun. Christmas traditions are what makes Christmas so special. And I think about this because for us, we never had Christmas Eve church services growing up. There were a couple of churches in town that did, but we would have our Christmas Sunday morning, which was always the previous Sunday immediately before Christmas. So basically like, you know, five days ago. And a lot of the churches in our hometown did that this past week. And uh, there might be a kids program on that day. And, and uh, you know, everybody dressed a little bit nicer on that particular Sunday morning. And they'd always give us a gift bag as we left, like a brown paper sack that had random stuff in it, like an orange and an apple and a few peanuts that were in the shells and sometimes candy that wasn't in the wrappers that we weren't supposed to eat, but we did anyway because we were kids and, you know, that's why we have higher immune systems these days. But that was our Christmas tradition. What are yours? What are some of your Christmas traditions? Maybe it's the music. I'm one of these, I am a stern believer that Christmas music starts the day after Thanksgiving, not before. In fact, we were driving around the week of Thanksgiving and Christmas music came on and my, my middle child, Amelie, goes, they can't play this yet. <laughs> I said, I know, but some people like to break the law. It's a, it just happens. <laughs> but maybe it's the music. Maybe the music draws you in. I grew Again, growing up in Oklahoma, I always really wondered what it would be like to walk in a winter wonderland at Christmas. Or, or thinking about jingle bells and being on a sleigh ride or, or something like that. Maybe it's the Christmas songs that we'll sing here at church more often or that really draw you in to the Lord or draw you into the Bible. Maybe a song like one of my favorites is Oh Holy Night. And in particular, I love the line just before the chorus when it says, The thrill of hope, the weary world rejoices, for yonder breaks a new and glorious morn. See, it's in the midst of our struggles and dark times that we find hope in Jesus. That's what Christmas represents for us. The time that hope came into the world, the time that the light broke the stronghold of darkness. Or, or maybe it's the prayer that's offered in the song, Joy to the World, one of the first Christmas songs I remember uh, learning. Actually, the only song I ever learned to play on the piano, one note at a time. And the prayer that we sing there, we sing, Joy to the world, the Lord has come, let earth receive her king. Let every heart prepare him room. Let heaven and nature sing. Or maybe it's just that simple declaration of joy and triumph that we just sang a few moments ago. O come, all ye faithful, joyful and triumphant. O come ye, O come ye to Bethlehem. Come and behold him, born the king of angels. Come, let us adore him, Christ the Lord. Maybe it's the movies. Maybe it's Christmas movies that, that, that get you this time of the year. Now, unlike music, I can watch Christmas movies all year round. That's okay. Like, that, that, that's allowed to happen. I try to be good and hold them for the Christmas season, though. Because there's something about Christmas movies, whether it's just the memories or the laughs or whatever it may be, there's always a subtle message that slides into those Christmas movies that we can just relate to so much, especially this time of the year. Like, like maybe it's just the never-ending joy and optimism of Buddy the Elf. That no matter the situation, he's just singing and he's happy and he's bringing Christmas joy. Or maybe it's that childhood wonder and just that curiosity of Ralphie from A Christmas Story. Maybe it's the desire for a perfect family Christmas, no matter the setbacks, no matter the dysfunction that shows up at your house that we see from Clark Griswold 
on Christmas vacation. Or maybe it's just a simple approach to Christmas taken by Charlie Brown in the midst of chaos, in the midst of competition, in the midst of shiny new things. Christmas carries a special and different feeling for most of us this time of the year. And it carries a different feeling for us than any other holiday does because unlike just a typical holiday like Easter or Thanksgiving or the 4th of July or one of these that we celebrate, Christmas is not just a day, it's a season. Christmas, I, I saw some of your, your houses, Christmas lights go up November 1st for some people. Like at Walmart and Target, they had stuff out on the shelves before Halloween even hit this year. It's a season and it goes well beyond just today. But the reason it's a season that we celebrate is because it's a season of hope. It's a season of joy. We think about gifts, and, and that kind of consumes us this time of the year, whether it's giving or receiving. If you've got kids, well, parents, you've, you've made it. <laughs> my kids started going, we, had an, we got a catalog from Amazon this year. I thought catalogs were a thing of my childhood. In fact, we had to explain to Phil one day what a catalog was because he had never seen those. Phil barely was barely born before this century started, for those of you who need context there. But we got a catalog from Amazon. My kids went through that probably 20 times, and I'm pretty sure Amelie circled about 93% of the stuff in that. We've made it, though. We've made it through. Let's go see Santa Claus, or let's go shop, or I want this, or I want that. That's what the gifts are all about. And for many of us, it's the giving of gifts that, that we love because it brings joy. And for some people, that gift brings hope. I think back to when I was a kid and some of the gifts I got, there was a hope in my life that it was going to make my life better or make my life more fun or that I was going to get so much joy out of this. What, what was that gift for you that you might have had as a kid? What kind of hope or joy did it bring and how long did that hope and, and joy last? Christmas is a special time of the year because it represents what hope and joy is really all about. It represents where that hope and that joy comes from. And in particular, it represents the hope and the joy that was brought into the world by God the Father when he gave us the greatest gift of all time on that holy night. Luke chapter 2 tells us all about it. In fact, in Luke chapter 2, we read this story about this man named Joseph and his wife Mary, who was extremely pregnant at this point in time, very close to her, her due date. And, and during this time, they were told that they had to, to travel some 70 miles from their town of Nazareth all the way down to Bethlehem, where Joseph's family hailed from, to be counted in a census by Caesar Augustus. And while they were there in Bethlehem, 70 miles away, and Many days and weeks on their journey by foot, the time came for Mary to give birth to her son, Jesus. I wonder what that night was like, that holy night in Bethlehem. It wasn't probably quite like we really picture. We read in Luke 2 that, that there was no guest room available, or some older translations might say there was no room in the end. And, and it wasn't like they just rolled into town and Joseph forgot to get on Hotels.com and make a reservation for them. First century Palestine was famously well-known for its hospitality. Especially during this time of the census, people would have opened their homes and, and would have uh, crammed as many people into their, their rooms as they could have, especially someone who was, was expecting a child. But whatever the case may be, as Mary and Joseph arrived, there wasn't a room available. 
I don't know if they got there later than everybody else or what might have happened, but they got there and, and wind up having to spend the night in a room where a certain family kept its livestock. And we, we have our nativity scenes with a little wooden barn, and, and most likely that wasn't actually what they stayed in. It might have been a guest room underneath their house because sometimes people would bring their livestock indoors on a cold night to keep the livestock protected and to help heat the house. Or maybe it was a small cave right next to their house, but whatever the case, they, they went there with those animals, and while they were there, Mary gave birth. And when she did, she wrapped this baby boy in cloths, and she laid him in the animal's feeding trough. I wonder what went through their heads. I, I wonder what went through their minds. It had only been a few months earlier that the angel came and told Mary what Jesus was going to represent. I wonder what Joseph thought. This child that wasn't his, but that he was responsible for raising. Did he really believe what the angel told him back in Matthew chapter 1, that this child, this infant baby, would save the world from its sin? Did he really fully understand that? Did he have doubts somewhere along the way? Did, did he understand the significance of what the angel said to him? Or, or did he think to himself, you know, that, was that really just a dream? That didn't really happen, did it? Did Mary really have that or did, was that just a dream? I wonder what went through their heads. We've got three kids, my wife Jennifer and I. And, and uh, each time as she was going in to give birth, my mind just raced. Our oldest, Elsie, was born the day after my 30th birthday. And, and so I spent my 30th birthday in the hospital with my wife, who was very sick at the time. And it was about 8 or 9 o'clock in the evening that the doctor came in and said, we're going to take the baby, and you're going to have a baby tomorrow. And I, I didn't know exactly when, but I knew at that point in time, at some point, probably in the next 18 hours, this child that we've been talking about for eight and a half months now, and, and really for months before those eight and a half, as we planned on having a child, this was actually going to happen. And all these thoughts just started screaming through my head. And I started asking questions like, I wonder what she's going to be like. I wonder if she's going to be a, a daddy's girl or if she's going to be a, a mama's girl. Is she going to be uh, athletic or artsy? It, what, what will her favorite color be? Will she be blonde or brunette, or will she have blue eyes or green eyes or brown eyes? Is she going to be right-handed or left-handed? What's her voice going to sound like? What, what, is her, what will her aspirations be as she grows? Is she going to be friendly, or is she going to be kind of quiet and reserved? Is she going to be uh, a leader, or is she going to be a dedicated follower? Will she be silently sub stubborn and strong-willed like me, or will she be a little more outspoken and determined like my wife? What's she going to be like? And I thought the same thing with our middle child, and I thought the same thing with, with Titus as well, too. I wondered what they would be like. I asked myself, what kind of dad am I going to be? Am I going to be a, a, a tough love type of dad, or will I be a pushover? Am I going to be the kind that always puts my kids first at the expense of everybody else, or am I going to be the kind that, that makes sure that they treat others fairly, that they're held accountable when they do things wrong? I wonder if Joseph had any of these thoughts that night. As Mary brought this child into the world, did Joseph have any of those thoughts? He knew that Jesus was not his own flesh and blood, but he also knew that he was given the responsibility to raise Jesus, that he was given the task to, to turn him from a, a baby into a man. And he knew the responsibilities that Jesus would have one day, but 
Man, that's a lot of weight to carry when you know what this child's supposed to become and you're the one responsible for helping him get there. I wonder what Joseph thought that holy night. The book of Matthew says the angel told Joseph that he would, uh, Jesus would save people from their sins. But he told Mary that this child would inherit the throne of his father David. And he would reign over the house of Jacob and that his kingdom would never, ever end. I wonder what went through the minds of those two teenagers that night as they held this baby. We'll sing that song, Oh Holy Night. And, and I love to sit and think about the song and the music that goes with it. It's just beautiful. and it just, it just melts my heart to hear it. But we stop and think about that phrase, Oh Holy Night. Like we say about so many days and times, this night probably seemed like any other normal night, but it was anything but that. That very phrase, oh, holy night. To be holy means to be set apart. Quite simply put, holy means other. This was not just any normal night. It was special. It was different. Because it was on this night that God initiated his plan, that he put his strategy into motion to save mankind. And it didn't just stop with Mary and Joseph. Uh, maybe you know how the story continues on. It, even if you don't really know the Bible or, or you don't normally come to church or didn't grow up in a Sunday school class, you probably know what happens next because it's the climactic part of the Charlie Brown Christmas when Linus steps to the stage and he tells the story about the shepherds. Just a few miles away, right outside of town in a field, these shepherds are watching their, their, their flocks. And in the middle of the night, out of nowhere, an angel shows up and probably like any of us, if an angel just showed up in the sky, we're going to be caught off guard like those shepherds were. And so the angels reassure the shepherds with the, the most repeated command in all of Scripture, don't be afraid. Because tonight we bring you good tidings of great joy. And they say, hey, just a few miles down the road, there's a baby born. And this baby's going to be the Messiah, the Savior of, of the entire world of all mankind. Go and worship him. And, and we read on, and, and we go to a different gospel. In the gospel of Matthew chapter 2, we see what completes our nativity scenes we set up this time of the year with the wise men. And the wise men see a star that they follow, a star that may not have made sense at the time, but they knew it symbolized something significant. Now, what you may not know about these wise men, and, and I'm, I'm sorry, I'm about to ruin your nativity scenes you have set up right now in your house. Those wise men didn't show up that same night. Most scholars and academics and theologians believe it was actually a couple of years later that they made their way because they journeyed for thousands of miles following a star. And when they got there, they worshiped. It would have taken them months, possibly years, to get there. But you see, here's the thing about these wise men they were known to study the stars and to look for symbols in the sky and to try and decipher what that meant. And in particular, the wise men were known to be instrumental and excellent advisors at predicting and help establishing new kingships and new kingdoms. They were often known to usher in a change in a monarchy. And so when they see this stellar alignment, they see this, this, this new arrangement of stars and they followed it, they didn't probably know exactly what it meant, but they knew it meant something important that it was something from God. This would have completely disturbed King Herod. It makes sense why he says what he says to them when they show up. 
King Herod, who was known to be extremely paranoid. In fact, he had most of his family, his wife and his sons killed because he was paranoid they were going to try to overthrow him. When they showed up to say there was a new king, what's he, what's he doing in the story? He tries to trick them because he understood enough to know something's happening here. But these wise men trusted God. And they continued on their way and they continued seeking after this new king. You see, the overall story of history is this. God created the world and then he created us, his children. But we, his children, we rebelled and and ran away from him and we spent years and centuries running further and further away from God as far as we could run. Running into the darkness, running into the dysfunction, into despair, into hopelessness. But God, but God never stopped chasing after us. He pursued us through, the, through, through that whole time of us running. And he continues to pursue us today. And God had a plan all along to redeem us, to bring us back to him. Because again, he's holy and we're not. He's set apart. And we try to be, but, but we fail at that. So he came up with a plan. And on that holy night, that Christmas night, He put the plan into motion, and now, as we get into our Christmas seasons, we celebrate that plan. That on that most holy night, that silent night, God didn't send the conquering king riding the white horse storming into town. He sent the most humble package that he could send, a newborn infant baby born to humble people, a baby born to die to take away the sin of the world. And here's the thing. Because God never stopped pursuing us, it should be easy for us to never stop seeking after him. To never stop pursuing him. To never stop celebrating that hope that came into these world, or into this world. I think too often we lose sight of that these days. Because especially those of us who, who, who call ourselves Christians, who make church a regular part of, of our lives and the Bible a regular part of our lives, I think it's easy for us to start thinking that we need to protect God from us, that we need to defend God from the way the world is these days. It's like we are afraid that our culture is, is going to push him away, that our culture is going to, to make him not want us anymore and that, that we might offend him and he might turn his back on us and want no part of it. So we get upset when people say happy holidays instead of Merry Christmas. Or when people don't put Jesus at the front and center. We get upset by that and feel like we need to rush to God's aid. We're afraid again that at some point he'll give up on us. And that he'll just leave us to ourselves. The God I read about, I don't think that's the case. In fact, I'll go so far as to say this. God is not offended by our humanity. Does he like our humanity? No, probably not. But he's not offended by it. He's not completely repulsed by it. And here's how I know that. He chose to enter our humanity. He could have sat in heaven and and waited for us to figure out how to come to him, but he came to us. He set aside his uh, power and his authority and his divine nature, and he came and entered our world, darkness and all, putting on the very limitations that we as humans carry the very limitations our flesh holds and our our emotions hold. He put those on and he came in the form of a servant to save our broken world. And that, 
That, folks, is the gospel message. That's the good news of Christmas. That is what we celebrate, the light coming into the darkness, the hope entering into despair. That, that's the story of Christmas. Gospel of John, it says, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. You skip a few verses, and it says, the word became flesh, and he made his dwelling among us. And then if you look at a couple of other spots that are well-known verses in John, it tells us that those who believed in him, those who believed in his name, to those people he gave the right to be called children of God. No longer identified by what the world calls us, he calls us his children. And it tells us that those who believe in him will never perish, but will have eternal life. That's Christmas. Let's pray. Father, we are so thankful for, a, for you and thankful that you chose to enter into our brokenness, enter into our world to save us. You became one of us so you could reach us because we couldn't do it on our own. And so, God, we pray in the midst of brokenness or darkness or hopelessness or despair, we always keep our eyes on you, that we always keep seeking you, knowing you've never stopped seeking us. God, we are so, so grateful for Jesus. We're so grateful for this holiday season where we can pause our chaotic lives and reflect on you. May we never forget, never forget the true reason for this season as we celebrate you. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.